I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. Erin Ehrenberg is the founder of Totem Women and the founder of Chamber of Mothers, which is a non-for-profit focusing on America's priority on mothers' rights. And it's a collective based around the idea of the Chamber of Commerce and the power in numbers and pulling together all of these organizations that are all doing the same thing, fighting for women, women's empowerment, different federal policies for women on the local level. And it's such a great idea, the Chamber of Mothers. I've known Erin through Totem for a long time. And then we sort of wound up in the same spaces over the years. And I think she's such an interesting person, such a strong voice about being fed up and fired up and really putting her time and effort behind things that she cares about and where she can have an impact. So in the links, you're going to see information about Chamber of Mothers. It's a non-for-profit. They have local chapters. But it's really important that people get together. Women are the biggest number of voters in this country. And if we voted as a block around our shared interest, around things that are important for mothers and women, like care and financial freedom, maternal health, we would be able to make a huge huge impact. So we need to be supporting organizations that are helping to aggregate women together and are willing to be on the forefront of making that change. Erin's companies, so Totem Women, which is just content around surviving motherhood from birth onward, Mm -hmm. and Chamber of Mothers, which is so cool. And it's really pulling together different organizations that advocate for all of the things that mothers need to be surviving as well, from paid leave to childcare to financial independence, all of the ways that we can fight for these rights within the government and also at a local level. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah. Totem means whole in Latin. And that's how I landed on that as a brand name, because I find that I think as women, it's hard to live a whole existence. We have these expectations of how we're meant to show up in different atmospheres and with different people and in different situations. And then when you become a mother, it's even more challenging. You know, just I felt shattered in a lot of ways. There was this identity and who I knew of myself before I became a mother. And then once I became a mother, it was like walking through a portal and you just can't unsee it. And and so much changes in an instant, you know, that shift in your hormones, which is the biggest shift. I know we've talked about this before, Jenny, it's the single biggest shift that any being goes through at any point in its life cycle and it happens instantly. And thankfully there's a term for it now, matrescence, which is, you know, really provides at least some language around this massive transition that a woman goes through when she becomes a mother. And there's this struggle for wholeness. I think it's especially felt 
in your physical body when your baby is brand new and you know many of us are feeding our babies from our bodies we're repairing in our bodies there's the hormone dump our brains feel like they're rejiggering and they're discombobulated our relationships are shifting our relationships to our ambition are shifting and just this idea that we can and should be whole in motherhood um, and support one another to be that way is really important to me. And I found in 2021, when I was asked to provide access to Totem for some of the advocacy groups that were fighting for paid leave, like Paid Leave US and Paid Leave for All, I really realized that, you know, I'm doing all this work for individual mothers to feel whole. But the issue is really not the individual. The, it, the issue is systemic. If we are a country, you know, the only wealthy nation, developed nation that does not provide paid leave to parents full stop, we're sending a message that a woman is supposed to become a mother and work like she doesn't have kids and mother like she doesn't have a job. And so no wonder there's this really high burnout rate. And then when I started to look at it, you know, what are sort of the intersectional systemic failures toward mothers? You know, you look at the childcare crisis, you and I are talking about camps and we both have means and access to things like camps and to create situations in the summer where we are given some breathing room around our work and our friendships and the things that matter to us outside of caring for our children. But even with means, it's a lot to juggle and childcare in the summer for so many is really unaffordable. And much of the United States is a childcare desert where it's impossible to find affordable childcare. And on the other side of that equation, you've got the childcare providers, many of whom are also mothers who aren't paid living wages. And so just really started to look at the lack of paid leave, the lack of access to affordable, dependable quality childcare, and then the maternal health crisis, where as other nations are doing a better job of looking after mothers, the United States is actually doing a worse job. Our uh, mortality rates are increasing, and that's especially true for Black and Native American mothers. And so I really see it, and I think those of us who are spending a lot of time looking at the numbers and the data that this is an emergency. This is a healthcare emergency. And when you look at childcare, paid leave, and maternal health, all of these things are intersectional. And it's, you know, it, it's not painting a good picture right now. And a lot of mothers are really struggling with that. So this organization that you pulled together, and you called it the Chamber of Mothers, which yeah. I think is great. And the idea is based off of the Chamber of Commerce, which I hadn't actually given that much thought to. The Chamber of Commerce, what is it and how does it work? And But you did and put it together that this is a great template for how we can think about organizing around and advocating for mothers' issues. So yeah, absolutely. How did you put that together? Yeah, sure. So I remember when I where I was standing when we put that together, and it was really my co-founder, Daphne Delvo, who everybody should follow her. She runs an account on Instagram called The Mom Attorney, and she's a litigator in San Diego, and she focuses on maternal rights. And so she and I were talking. I was folding laundry. It was November 2021. We were working on letting moms across the country know that paid leave could maybe finally pass in the U.S. for the first time. We were using our 
you know, our accounts and our outreach to let moms know that. And she and I were talking, we said, you know what, why are lawmakers not worried about pissing moms off? Why is no one thinking, well, if we don't pass paid leave, mothers are going to be ticked and they're not going to vote for us. Why is that? Women are the largest voting block. We're the largest voting block. We control all the money. Exactly. And we are the largest voting block. Also, like the majority of women are mothers. So you would think that there would be far more power. Exactly. And we looked at it and we said, okay, 85 million mothers, 2.4 trillion in spending power. And Daphne said, do you know that the Chamber of Commerce is the number one blocker of paid leave? They have it on their jobs killer list. And I didn't know that, just like you. I, I hadn't given thought to that. I know the Chamber of Commerce is really active where I live. Um, and I know a lot, a lot of friends of mine are members of the Chamber because they help a lot with marketing and things like that. But the fact is, they are two things. They are, number one, an affinity group, right? If you're a small business owner and you need help with marketing and outreach, there's a relationship to be had with the Chamber of Commerce. They are also a lobby organization. The Chamber of Commerce, the National Association of Realtors, and the AARP are major lobby organizations, and they've gotten a lot of laws passed and a lot of laws blocked. And so it was Daphne who said, where's the Chamber of Mothers? Where is this assembly where we aggregate our votes, we aggregate our voices, we aggregate our spending power? And we said, we need to do this. Because we were seeing how these advocacy groups, while they're doing incredible work, Many of them work in D.C., and we're reaching moms across the country. We were reaching that, what Emily Tish Sussman said to us in our first 48 hours, she said, you all at the Chamber of Mothers have reached the everyday consumer mother in a way that advocacy groups working on these issues for 20 years still haven't. And we realized we have something here. We have to keep going. And it was built of eight of us, women like me, who are professionals, you know, we have lawyers, journalists, doctors, psychiatrists, authors, researchers, but also women who run these big platforms like yours. You know, we're reaching mothers on Instagram where we know they spend a lot of their time. We have our big email lists and we were able to let them know in very clear language what was at stake for them. And that was around paid leave, but we've really expanded it. And the goal is to be the biggest collection of mothers around the country. I remember that moment. And I remember the excitement about (laughs) how we thought, wow, we're going to build back better. And here we are, and we're going to get paid leave and childcare, and this is going to be fantastic. And then none of those things have happened. So, uh, you know, was that a failure of our voice? Was that a failure of prioritization with the government? I mean, where are you in this right now when you see like, okay, we're politically haven't gotten a lot of the things that we wanted and we're promised Mm -hmm. and we're going into an election. You know, really, I give so much respect to the groups like Paid Leave for All and Paid Leave US who are these single issue groups who are working really hard and really did make so much progress on this issue. And there is continued progress. We see things like the Dad's Caucus, which is a collection 
of Congress people who are fathers who stand for things like paid leave and child care. Um, we see that there's the Family Act that's been pulled together where this is, you know, a lot of these issues are being brought back to the fore. But to be quite frank, it came down to budget. It came down to lawmakers deciding that they didn't want to spend this way. And what the Inflation Reduction Act really was was build back better with all of the social safety net taken out of it. So it was interesting that the Chamber of Mothers was invited to the White House lawn to celebrate the passage of the IRA, but really it felt like a funeral to us because we lost so many of the things we were really fighting for. It's not to say there are great things in there around, you know, drug costs for the elderly, but the matters that would really impact moms were taken out. And it, it was really sad and harrowing to see. We got involved in the fight really late in the game. And I think we see the opportunity for reaching the mainstream everyday mom and letting them know what's at stake. I really, Jenny, I don't think most moms across the country knew that Build Back Better would have impacted their paid leave. And part of that is intentional. Part of you know what Washington does so well is obfuscating language, making it really hard to understand what's at stake. The other thing, and I will say this, we have really seen now that we are actually doing legislative fly-ins, uh, we were signed by a fantastic firm called Kroll and Mooring in DC by their government affairs team. We're a pro bono client of theirs and really proud to say that. They've organized these fly-ins for us where the Chamber of Mothers leadership and then constituents across the country go in and meet with key Congress people. It was 17 of us met with 15 people last uh, just a couple months ago. We're heading back in July. And the biggest thing where I see the failure is that those of us who want to make progress on paid leave in particular are not providing answers to the question of who is paying for this and how. That is the question that fiscal conservatives are asking, and it's really not being answered. And so I feel a sense of responsibility. I know the team does to really provide specific answers and get creative and think about not only the states like New York and California and who have made it happen, but, you know, we talk a lot about the FFCRA, which was an emergency paid leave during COVID that Trump was able to pass. And he quickly made it happen. And it was paid for through tax credits to businesses. And so we have a working model where we have paid for paid leave and made it not create too much of a hit on businesses. It didn't create this huge dent in the economy. And we simply aren't providing those answers. I mean, we would go to Republican offices And the sentiment was, well, of course, of course, paid leave is the right thing. Of course, our maternal mortality rates are too high, of course. But how on earth can we pay for this? And when they're saying, how can we pay for it? The answer that's often given by folks who are advocating for paid leave and childcare are, well, look at the economic outcome, all the positive economic outcome, the trillions that would go back into the economy when these parents go back to work, when these parents have access to childcare. But that's not really answering the question. The question is really, how do we pay for it right now? And so there's an opportunity we see to really speak in 
the words of capitalism to really answer the question that fiscal conservatives are asking in a new and different way. I spoke to a a Republican lobbyist ish Mm -hmm. the other day, and we were talking about women's issues Mm -hmm. and the failure of all of parental leave, build back better, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And she said the issue was that one of the issues, obviously there's many, was Mm -hmm. that the government just can't handle the addition of more departments like this, Mm. (laughs) that like they're running in such a backward state still, like Mm. everything's on paper. Some, some, you know, systems are just so broken that adding more layers is Mm. such a fail and people within the government see that and just see that they're not going to be able to have the bandwidth to do and execute what it is that they want, even if they wanted to do it. And so even Democrats are like, there's no way we can make this happen. Like we're still writing notes on paper when it should be digital. Mm. How can the government do this? We don't have the capacity to do it, which is then scary because that's just a straight failure of like operating from the- Like organizational development. Yeah. yeah like where, where, then what does that say about this government if you can't you yeah. can get like social security checks out properly. Yeah. How are you going to do that? You can't, it's not even about the money. It's literally about how could you get the checks? And we saw that that was a fail during COVID that so many people misused the system and the system wasn't working and yeah, they gave you the money, but it, it wasn't done properly. Right, so right. that is kind of scary, but it is scary. It's like, I'm thinking that if the government were a company and it had investors, the investors would fire the leadership and, you know, pull the funding. I mean, that's unacceptable to not be able to, to have a system that supports what the people inside the system need. That's such a failure. But I've seen that happen in lots of organizations. Yeah. You know, we ha- we work with lots of organizations that say to us, oh, we want to do these things and we want to implement your parental leave and we want to implement this system and that system, but we can't actually do it because like our organization is too big. It's unwieldy. We can't even figure out how to like onboard and process things. So when you think about it in that sense, like the government is basically just a different version of that bigger and with more layers. But yeah, I get it because you we look at these businesses and we're like, you've spent years trying to implement this system and you still can't do it. And you've spent you know, millions of dollars on this. And it's a huge fail and a really big bummer. You're talking about capitalism. Yeah. Like, so that company is going to fail, but I don't want the government to fail. So I'm like, this doesn't seem like it bodes well. It doesn't. We have a tagline that we use where we say the mothers will save us all. And it's a great phrase, but I really see it being true all the time. We Recently, I had a mom reach out to me who works at one of the biggest ad agencies in the country, and they do a lot of work for Target. And she reached out saying, I just want to be a part of the Chamber of Mothers. And can I share with you this presentation deck that I made to my company leadership to convince them not only to give me paid leave, but to offer it across the country? And I looked at her deck and Jenny, she addressed 
you know, why it was necessary in order for the company to lead from the values that they espouse. She addressed the economic impact of it, both in the future state, but also how to pay for it now. She addressed operationally how it would roll out and who would cover for, you know, those folks that took leave. She did a brilliant job. And not only did they provide it to her, they provided it across the organization. And she actually is, I mean, she's so lovely that she came to me and offered the template as sort of like a Mad Lib style that she wants to give to the Chamber of Mothers that we can give to all of our members. And I said, hold on a second. There are people that have full consulting businesses around this. Like I don't, as an IP attorney, I don't feel comfortable just taking this. And she said, no, I, it needs to be out there. People need to access this. I really want to create it. I want it to be white labeled and I want you all to provide it. And so that's forthcoming um, for one that's cool, awesome, like private solution. But I really do believe that solving these problems requires some ingenuity. It requires working with or outside the systems and just getting things done. I mean, I think it's a healthy balance of, all right, how operationally do we make this happen? And then also just saying, look, if we're in a situation, if we're in a maternal health crisis, we just lost Tori Bowie, one of our Olympians last week, died in childbirth. And we see this all the time. If we're in a maternal health crisis, if we see that there are trillions that would go back into the economy, if we would give parents time to care and then allow and equip them to come back to work whole, if we were able to provide accessible childcare solutions so that parents could get back into the economy, it's important. And so I think we need to decide that it's important enough to shake things up. And you know, the, the answer that I hear so many times from Democratic lawmakers when we say, well, how can we pay for it? How can we get it done? They kind of sarcastically say, well, we pay for defense. And the truth is, we sort of keep just doing things the way we've always done them. And you look at, you know, how hard it was for Obama to make the progress that he did around healthcare. I mean, and to the point that your friend made, I think that's where I get overwhelmed sometimes when I think there are so many issues. There are so many important things that we need to solve for. And so I see our job at the chamber as being focused on mothers. And, you know, we've had people say to us, well, why don't you talk about care? Or why don't you talk about dads? And the thing is, we already are not a single issue organization. We're not just for paid leave. We're for mother's rights, full stop. But it's important to be focused on one population, one group, one problem and a solution. Tell me about it. Keep the pressure. That's what we do. And you got to just keep your head, don't get distracted, yep. focus. There's too many things. You can't be for everybody and that's okay. Exactly. Exactly. I'm going to introduce you to this woman, Rachel Pearson. I met her the other day. She is a uh, non-for-profit called Engage. Okay. And it's trying to create bipartisan mm. support and legislation mm. around issues that affect women and their financial health. Oh, and we so the, need to talk to her. Yeah, I think she'd be great. And like the tent poles of the things that affect women's financial health, according to the women that they've studied and the things that they're focused on are health and wellness because physical health, mental health, maternal health, that is incredibly important. Financial independence and having security and then caregiving because mm -hmm. caregiving when your kids are young, but then 
I think they said something like the average caregiver age of dealing with older parents is 49. Wow. So you're dealing with this spectrum of care on both sides and how it really affects well, for, yeah. I love Meander, it. Like, meandering children around care. Doing the care right now. Yeah. Doing the I, care. I would, for <laughs> two things, you're making me think of. Number one, I would love to talk with her. Our next fly-in at the end of July is really, really focused on bipartisan support and getting- She would be a great person for yes, you to talk to. I will make that happen. Republican offices by saying like, this is the fiscally conservative case for these three issues. And then secondly, I just met with, you know, Catherine Goldstein, from the double shift. She and I met up yesterday for lunch. She's here in Durham. And she was talking about this massive transfer of wealth from the boomer generation and how we really need to be talking a lot about when we think about care, exactly what you're saying, elder care and paid leave is for elder care as well. And that's something that will resonate maybe more with some of our lawmakers that are to your point, facing that more than they are, you know, having little ones at home. Yeah. Because, you know, that, that faces everybody and there isn't, and it's so expensive and then it's a huge Medicaid burden anyway. So I think that you would, you would enjoy her, but I want to know how you are. So let's, you know, I've taken up so much of your time and I'm so happy we could, I could keep talking to you about this endlessly forever in circles. But for those who don't know, we can backtrack. I probably should have started here, but just tell them your story of how you got so deeply involved and the evolution of where you came from. We know each other. We went to college together and I hadn't seen you in a long, long time. And then we both wound up at the same women's conference. So totally started the same place, ended at the same place, but yeah. went in, in very different directions. And I'd love for you to just walk through the journey that got you here. Sure. Yeah. I never, when I was 17, never thought I would be this maternal rights advocate. Wasn't really in my wish list, but I've always been really wired for justice. Just if something felt unfair or not right, I wanted to do something about it. And you know, I think always knew that I would end up going to law school. Didn't know if I wanted to practice, but just having that toolkit around how to argue, how to communicate, how to analyze, how to research. So after college, after working in tech for a couple years in Austin, I went to law school. I became an IP lawyer. And what I learned quickly was that while I did not want to work at a big corporate law firm where I started out, I I wanted to work with smaller clients who were artists. And I was able to sit with them and say, okay, I want you to understand the rights that you have and be able to protect them. So I was doing that in the music law space in Nashville, in New York and Nashville, and then ended up in LA running a nonprofit that was in the music industry. So That was really on a tip from my boss when I was working in music law. He said, I see that you're always running off to, there was a a center for women in downtown Nashville, women who had really gone through some trauma. I was helping them write for the GED. And he said, I feel like you will find this great fit because the Academy of Country Music that puts on this big award show in um, Las Vegas every year, they have a ton of money from the award show, but what they really want to be doing is focusing on the new 501c3 that they started, but they need an executive director. They've never had one. I think with your legal background, your understanding of the music landscape and the fact that you're 
you know, someone who's always volunteering to help, you ought to go cast your hat in for this job. And I did. And I got the job. I moved to LA and that was where I ended up meeting my husband. I took my dog to the vet and he was the vet and had our children. And so I went from running that nonprofit, which was a job that I absolutely loved. I was working with a lot of country music artists and helping them grow their nonprofit presence, everybody from Carrie Underwood and Taylor Swift. And it was just a really fun job with a lot of positive impact. And I started to learn about myself that I, like I said, I'm really wired for justice. So want to do something. If I see that there's a problem and there's something that seems unfair, I want to use the ability, the skill, the education, the access that I have to do something about it. And when I became a mom, it just shifted into, well, this is my lane. There's a lot of problems around being a mother in the United States And it just seemed like there was such a lack of support for the woman who's become a mother, even though there was a lot of support around, you know, me as a pregnant person. And then even for my labor and delivery, thank goodness. And then for the baby, I felt that as a woman, there was so little support. And I now know that it's part of just being a woman, (laughs) full stop. I mean, you look at the support and conversation that we have around menopause. And I know we've talked before about the New York Times article where there was that really chilling line that said, we as a culture have a very high threshold for women's suffering. And I hadn't heard, of course, that line at the time back when I was holding my first brand new baby, but there was something sort of in my bones that felt that way. I felt like, how is it that women go through the experience of labor and delivery and this massive change and hardly anyone talks about what it's like for us, let alone providing some systemic support where we're able to have time to be with our babies and understand what our role is going to be like as a mother and how we want to shift our ambition and our goals. There's just no acknowledgement of that. And so that germ of concern sat with me and I didn't do anything about it right away. I went from running the nonprofit I talked about to being the fourth employee at Indiegogo. So I found myself back in tech and social impact and took them through a series A, series B. I was doing business affairs and business development for them at the time. And then I ended up being asked to go over to WME, the big talent agency. They were at the time, they just merged uh, with Endeavor and they were really interested in alternative finance for content. And so because I had been in the crowdfunding space and people like Zach Braff and I think at the time it was uh, Kristen Bell were running crowdfunding campaigns to get movies funded. WME was super interested in how they might be involved. And so I went over, never expected I would become an agent and did. And I actually, I learned so much and I, I really had a great experience, but I ended up having my second baby there and I just couldn't get it out of my system that I wanted to do something to help modern moms. I wanted to do something at a systemic level. I was seeing moms struggle inside all of those organizations and really kind of take it on the chin. They were, you know, there was one mom who had suffered a terrible loss late in her pregnancy. 
she was right back to work and sort of covering it up because that's what was expected. There were, you know, even women hiding tampons. You had to pay like 50 cents to get a tampon and they were hiding it. It just felt like everywhere I looked, the experience of being a woman or being a mother inside corporate culture was very broken. And I wanted to do something about this issue. So finally, after taking a brief detour at an organization called Omaze, which was similarly, they um, were in this kind of tech entertainment cause space that I'd found myself. I just decided it was time to really without a net, take a leap, start Totem Women. I started that in LA. It began as products, events, resources, support for new moms. And that was a lot of fun to do. And there was a lot of access for that in LA. You know, there were great pelvic floor specialists. Erica Chitty was just starting Loom there. And we were doing some things together. Lots of postpartum doulas. There was just this big support network. Now, that's for women with means who were having that support. And so I always felt that I'm so glad there's at least an ecosystem around women with means who are are having access to the support they need for their minds, bodies, ambition, and relationships. And hopefully that will sort of trickle through the zeitgeist and moms in general will get more support. But even when starting Totem and, you know, I launched with a lactation cookie that I then sold in a mix, it just started to feel like I need to be doing something more about the system than offering individual products to mothers who can afford them. And so what happened in 2020 was I started first by providing access to women during the pandemic through Zoom to experts that I knew, whether it was authors or doctors, psychiatrists, who might be able to help them feel a little short up and less alone and less overwhelmed during the pandemic. And then I started working with companies, helping them figure out how to help their mothers and their their talent feel whole during the pandemic. And then, as I was saying with the Chamber of Mothers, when I started being asked by advocacy organizations to leverage my platform to help them create change and change the laws, I really felt like this is my calling. This really puts together all of the things that I care about, my sense of justice, my sense of action, the fact that I've built this platform where I now have access to moms across the country and I'm in conversation with them. It all seems that it's been leading up to this. And I know you know this, Jenny, as an entrepreneur, sometimes we try something out and it doesn't quite pick up. I mean, I had those moments with Totem where the cookies, for example, were a huge challenge. I really was going to need an investor to be able to sell lactation cookies and products. It was a total slog. And that was something where I felt like, okay, I need to pivot out of it. It's not where I want to be. With the Chamber of Mothers, every door has flung open. I mean, it was in two days, we had 10,000 followers and we were picked up in self and parents and we're meeting just these incredible women in our space. We were invited to the White House. I think we were four months old as an organization and got this invitation to come to the White House. We're invited to the Maternal Health Consortium when we were about a year old, just, and we're growing and growing. I think we now just on Instagram have 54,000 followers. We have 6,500 members. We've partnered with incredible brands and we were signed, as I mentioned, by this fantastic law firm, Kroll and Mooring, that only takes on two pro bono projects at a time in their government affairs area, they brought us on. And so we've, we now have this access to 
lawmakers. And we also have rolled out local chapters where we're meeting with moms across the country in a more grassroots way. So it's just been something that feels like it's the right group of people at the right time in history. And there's a lot of progress that we have made. There's still lots more to do, but it's been clicking. Are you still practicing law? I am. I'm practicing on the side until we get truly funded. I mean, we've had some grants and we have a lot of monthly donors who are really sustaining the organization, small monthly gifts, but in the aggregate, they're keeping us going a couple brand partners, but until we get truly underwritten where we can pay staff, I'm practicing law. So on the side, can I, I one I, more I, question. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you are. That's great. Oh. And you should, and you moved to South Carolina so mm-hmm. you now live in South Carolina with your family. Yes. So I'm just going to ask, are you going to take down Lindsey Graham? Oh my gosh. Because it seems oh. like between the law and the South Carolina and the women's issues, I understand that it's a big lift. And I also understand that you have small children and are doing all of these things. And Chamber of Mothers is amazing and can have a huge impact and does. But is there any chance of you running for office? Because I feel that South Carolina is a place that could really use you. Oh, wow, Jenny. What an enormous compliment. I'm just sitting over here receiving the enormity of that compliment. I think about it. I know from knowing other moms who have run that it is... It's threatening. It, it's, it's a nightmare. Difficult. It's threatening. I mean, the mothers are getting death threats. Their children are getting followed. It's it's a nightmare. And um, there was a candidate, Annie Andrews, who I really threw my support behind, and she lost to Nancy Mace. And I really watched her race. And I I love everything that Luba Gretchen Shirley is doing with Vote Mama, where their whole mission is to get more women, in particular mothers, to run. It's something I think about for later. I would want my children to be a little bit older. As as you know, I have a child, our 10-year-old was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the height of the pandemic. And so I darkly joke that it's like having a fourth unwanted child, just managing his diabetes is another job. And it's a lot. At the same time, my belief is that things will not change until we have better representation. We need more mothers in office. We need more people who are impacted by this making decisions. Lindsey Graham personally is such a problem for me. I mean, I've reached out to him about, in particular about paid leave. I got the nastiest letter back. He called paid leave part of a reckless spending spree and said that he would be putting his uh, support behind the military and defense instead, and just very dismissive, very rude letter. We actually did, um, we turned it into a poem in the like Kate Byer style. We did that on the Chamber of Mothers. But I think one day for something, that's probably a yes. I just really would have to make sure I were able to do it in a way that was responsible to our kids, because I feel the enormity of that responsibility too. Okay. That's a good answer. And <laughs> um, I, I enjoy that. I don't, it's not a no, it's yeah. a maybe. And yeah. I only say it because you live in a place where you would have an enormous impact. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, coming from, if you were in LA, if you're in New York, you know, sometimes it's great to live in a bubble, but at the same time, it doesn't always feel like you need to make that impact because you're, there's so much of it here, but you know, there's more responsibility when you live in a place where you can actually change a status quo and you have the skills, personality, brains, and clearly charisma to be able to do it. So I'm behind you whenever the time comes. All right. uh, You know, Erin Ehrenberg in South Carolina, she's, you're here, you've heard it here first. I I just, I I don't see you as somebody who is able to rest in whatever place that you've done. So no, you're right. I, I enjoy the like, maybe in a little bit. Look, Nancy Pelosi wasn't what, like 50 until she ran for office and look at her. Kids were raised. I think about that Kids were grown. You know, life is long and there's lots of chapters. So I can't wait to see what yours is next. And I'm so thrilled for all the things that you're doing. I'm going to wrap this up because you've been so generous with your time, Erin. And I'm going to put the Chamber of Mothers information into the information on the podcast. So if people want to donate, it is a non-for-profit. You raise money to keep going with what you're doing and there's chapters. So if anybody's interested in creating a chapter, learning more, donating, bringing this into your local government or into your company, do it. So thank you for all you're doing for mothers across the country. Thank you, Jenny, for all you're doing and thanks for this platform. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women. 